0: Welcome to From the Valley podcast, Brisbane Business Life. I'm your host, Tim Wilshire. I do have a uh, interesting special guest today. Uh, his name is Lance Murgaard from Chaplain Watch. Um, we're gonna find out a, a lot about uh, Chaplain Watch whilst, um, and uh, how it all works, what's involved, and why it's, why it's a very good thing that uh, is happening in the Valley community. So uh, thanks for coming along Lance.
1: It's a pleasure, Tim. Thank you very much for having us, and uh, yeah, looking forward to the next uh, period of time.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much. And uh, I guess I first of all wanted to, uh, I guess, bring the listeners up to speed with actually who you are as far as where your background is. I mean, your early part of life, whereabouts were you born, that sort of thing.
1: Okay. Um, Well, I'm a Queensland boy. I was born in Charters Towers. Um, back in the uh, halfway through the last uh, century. So uh, I'm getting a little aged, but uh, I've been around and uh, the reaches, I've been doing uh, a lot of things that uh, really pertain to uh, community service, community safety, community welfare. And uh, yeah, that's been my uh, focus for my whole life.
0: And uh, I guess what was the, as an adolescent, you know, growing up as a teenager, what were some of the events in your life during those years that sort of led you to this type of uh, career that you've sort of had?
1: Um, I would like to be able to say that there's some very um, delightful or uh, important or even um, um, those moments where that uh, you have this major enlightenment. But uh, uh, for me, life just happened. Uh, I just... Uh, moved, uh, I had a very good family life. Um, my father was a uh, minister of a church and uh, he looked after uh, uh, his parishioners as well and it, uh, and I suppose I just was in a very blessed, very comfortable position, so therefore nothing uh, really drove me um, other than the fact that I was lousy at school. Um, left uh, in year 11, um, my father thought I should do a, an apprenticeship I was an absolute klutz when it came to that. So (laughs) uh, I couldn't do anything like that. So I said to him um, halfway through that, uh, I said, I'm not going anywhere with this. So I joined the public service um, and I was put in the back blocks of one department that was, uh, um, because I was doing an apprenticeship, they thought, well, I'll stick them in machinery, scaffolding and weights and measures, uh, which was a very old department that had no future in it whatsoever. Um, But over time, um, my drive to uh, uh, – I just had a a heartfelt response towards people Mm. um, that uh, moved me to a – the opportunity arose within the public service to, uh, um, to become a welfare worker cadet back in those days they had cadetships they, and uh, out so of that this is sort of prior to
0: becoming an adult or
1: I was uh, yeah yeah, I was uh, yeah I suppose in twenty twenty one at that time okay, so yep. so that period of time I'd already uh, married um, I'd uh, married a wonderful uh, lady whom I'm still married to and uh, very happily and uh, we uh, I, I took this uh, this venture and uh I became one of the first social welfare workers ever. Mm. Um, they trialed it on us, and, uh, and that took me into the Department uh, of uh, uh, Children's Services. Mm. Um, I spent about five years doing that. I then, because of my faith, um, I felt uh, led to uh, want to become uh, an ordained minister, so I went into seminary after that. And then after that, um, uh, once graduating and leaving there, Uh, I had the responsibility of a church for about five years, uh, but still driven towards community care and service. And I ended up becoming the uh, executive director for um, uh, an organisation called Teen Challenge. And I spent about um, 10 years working in King's Cross and uh, running the uh, second largest drug rehab in Australia.
0: Yeah, I did read about... that. You do have, obviously, a history of... of a lot of different places on the eastern seaboard but king's cross obviously does stand out i'm sure you, you probably ex- you might be expecting a couple of questions about king's cross but uh <laughs> so when w- what sort of age were you exposed to the cross uh was that sort of fairly early on in your career or? oh mid-20s yeah so fairly early on and um uh so that that's obviously would be an interesting story and you might have some interesting stories to tell us about that but uh and where about, when about did you sort of move into the bigger city areas? Because you said you were from Charters Towers. How old were you when you sort of... Well, I
1: was only... I think my parents moved uh, several times around Queensland yep. uh, from church to church, um, yep. ministering in those churches. Yep. But we ended up in uh, Buranda in South Brisbane yep. uh, area. Um, when I was, I suppose, in about uh, year five or yep. thereabouts, and uh, so I've grown up basically in Brisbane, yeah. Um, Save for about twenty-five years in New South Wales, yep. running the drug rehab and doing all the work that's in regard to that down there.
0: Yeah. So, what sort of drove you to go to the cross? Then was it because you felt that that was something you could really improve, or as far I wish as
1: I, I wish I could say, say that I was driven. Um, I've I don't understand the idea of being driven um, other than the fact that to me my whole life has evolved around the ethos of people matter um, so yeah. so it was not a career drive, it was not a um, uh, uh, some sort of radical response to want to save the world or whatever. Um, I am a realist, I know that you can't save the world but you can help and save people, individuals. And yes. I suppose my response was in that regard. So I just look for means to be able to respond to individuals mm. uh, rather than uh, trying to do the big picture thing. And um, you know, I think that that's one of the uh, keys that I have found in my life mm. that has uh, helped me not to be able to get caught up in uh, the anxiety of uh, of needing to perform. Um, Individuals are the the way that I'd want to uh, respond to. So,
0: yes, that's uh, that's a very interesting approach. Um, so, with when you sort of were in Kings Cross, I mean, as as part of your role with with what you were doing there, um, and obviously helping make make things a better place with you know with people and making sure they're looked after and getting into that, I mean, did you have to have a fairly good sort of Fairly good knowledge, understanding of, of the people that were sort of frequenting the area, you know, the the people that sort of were in trouble with the law, um, the criminals, that sort of thing. Or? No,
1: I came the back way. Um, I had no knowledge. I okay. had no. Uh, I was. Um, I'm a I'm a teetotaler. Never done drugs. Never done alcohol. Yep. Never never smoked. Um, you know, I, I don't understand all of that. Yeah. So um, it was not their. I'm not driven by people's problems, not driven by people's issues. You use the word try, driven. I try, try to so, so, solve them, yeah. So, you know, you've used the word driven, so I'll just use that there. That I'm not driven by problems and trying to resolve issues. I'm driven um, out of just a desire, well, out of what I said before about yeah. that people matter. Yep. So it's individual. It's when I look a person, eyeball to eyeball, and yep. I connect in that in that uh, visual moment. Yep. Um, and I learned very quickly that you could understand drugs and alcohol and their effects on the body and their effects on society and in community. Uh, you can learn that out of a book fairly quickly. Yep. Um, there's a lot of experts on that. Yes. Um, you know, Just like in any business, you know, there's lots of experts on the stuff, but it's not until you engage with an individual eye to eye where that you actually meet them at that point, that you actually can start to do good. And that's really where I'm at. And it's not just something that you can do um, apropos to uh, drugs, alcohol, and those type of things. But I think it's a philosophy for business. Um, If you really want to, I believe, succeed even in business um, or uh, in anything, you've got to engage individually person-to-person, eyeball-to-eyeball, spirit-to-spirit.
0: No, that certainly makes sense to me. Um, Certainly does make sense. So uh, what are some of the other... Areas that you sort of uh, have come across and worked in. Have you sort of worked in Melbourne at all?
1: Have you been... No, no. I've stayed uh, basically in uh, New South Wales. Yep. Uh, so uh, when we were when I was down there, so uh, we uh, developed um, the uh, an outreach program into the Kings Cross area. Yep. Uh, we had an assessment centre in Kings Cross uh, for people that were affected by drugs and alcohol. Yep. Uh, more drugs and more heroin. Yep. Um, so I became rather an expert in the area of heroin addiction, uh, heroin uh, detox, and heroin rehabilitation. Yep. Um, so that, um, so that by uh, the time it got to about 196, the, the late 90s, um, there was a lot of polydrug use starting up where the people would take not only heroin, but would take um, other substances, cocaine uh, was coming in at the time, uh, speed or, uh, and uh, the amphetamines were very strong at the time. So when you had those mixes, it became very hard to deal with an individual, whereas it was, there was a clear uh, road to be able to help somebody on heroin alone. Mm. Um, and we were able to do that and do that well. So uh, in the uh, early 90s, uh, we developed our drug rehab up on the New South Wales Central Coast. Uh, It's the second largest drug rehab in Australia at the time. And the unique thing about it was that we took both males and females and also families, including families that were not uh, part, uh, who were not the... Uh, the individual that was having the addiction problem but if you wanted them to learn how to function effectively in their new normal Mm -hmm. um, then everybody had to become involved to be able to walk down that line because so uh, we had uh, homeschooling going for the kids that lived on on site, and uh, the uh, the wives or the parents or sorry or the partners, um, uh, and it wasn't just um, female and partners. There were uh, male partners as well, and uh, each of those took on tasks around the place. And we all developed uh, over a twelve month period a good resource for people to realign their lives moving forward.
0: Mm. Excellent. Okay, so I guess. Um with, with King's Cross, what, what are some of the things that stick out to you the most about your time there? Just, we won't probably touch on this for too much, but just want to sort of give the listeners a bit of an insight as to what things that you remember the most when you were there. And, and The fascinating
1: thing know. about it is, Tim, is that I don't remember much about King's Cross, mm. but I do remember the individuals and the people that were there yeah. and the people that came to us. Yes. Uh, because I was very much um, given to helping and caring for them. Yes. So, um, yeah, uh, it's just I, I can't give you the stories because I don't. Mm. Uh, my mind doesn't run in that in that vein. it okay. uh, But um, you know, I can tell you some heartbreaking stories. Um, a young um, prostitute girl we spoke, we, we were dealing with and helping. She was not even sixteen at the time. Jeez. Um, she was heavily addicted, at least 2000 and This is back in early 90s, yep. but at least $2,000 a week. So she had to prostitute herself, etc. Um, and uh, we cared for her and we were trying to help her and we were getting close to being able to get to a point where that she was willing to give a new life a go. Um, and uh, I got word that... Um, uh, one very cold winter's morning that she was found um, in uh, the King's Cross toilets um, from hypothermia she had died from hypothermia so she had a needle from her uh, hanging from her arm um, and uh, so she went on the nod she went to sleep and then her body just closed down because of hypothermia uh, now those type of things got the life out of me yeah. but then then I can tell you on the other side um, that uh, of people that, uh, or of a person that I know who was only just a couple of years older than her who did decide to make a change and is now not only uh, free from drugs and, and completely but has set herself up to be a, an amazing woman doing amazing things in our country and I'm not going to go any further with uh, yeah. any information that could disclose further, but, yeah. um, you know, so you have your wins, you yeah. have your, you, anything, know, yeah. you know, and you don't allow yourself to have guilt over those things, yeah. you, uh, other than the fact that, did I do my best? I believe I did. I believe we did. And uh, as much as it comes about, um, you've got to be very careful for yourself and your own well-being and your own mind and i suppose you know i'm talking to you on this podcast simply because you talk also about business and things like that yeah, of course. um that the principles i've learned in these are the principles that i think every business person needs to take on board you're going to have your ups you're going to have your downs so things are going to happen things are not going to happen yep. things are going to be good things are going to be bad you've got to learn to be able to um just say to yourself did i do my best yep yes, I believe I did my best. Even 90% is good. Um, and uh, and uh, so if it worked, it worked. If it doesn't, it doesn't. We move on to the next. It's
0: always a learn learning experience. I mean, everybody is human. Everyone, you know, most people have the mindset to try to give something your best shot at, at all times. Sure. But you've got to realise that, you know, you're human and people make mistakes. People overlook something and that—that's the nature of uh, learning, and and uh, yeah, and it, a, and as long as people sort of can can sort of, I guess, uh, correlate with that, then you know, every day is good.
1: Yeah, I understand that. Um, I, I I hear a lot of people talking about learning. Um, uh, I think that we've got to really um, learning has got to become uh, actualized. Uh, People have got to take lessons. There, there are a lot of learning that goes on, but has that actualized in an individual? Um, and uh, one of the things I, I say is uh, to many people who are in business as well as in uh, in the type of work that I've worked in, is that you've got to be an ex- you've got to be very robust with yourself. You don't allow yourself to be to get beaten up over a mistake, over a failure. Um, that's not a learning, that's, a, that's something that you've got to take on board. You've, the, you need to have that resilience within you to be able to just accept what happened and then uh, move towards it. So yes, you take lessons out of it, uh, but um, the lessons have to be, not, uh, have to be learnt and
0: actualised. So 2000, obviously you, you sort of came back to Brisbane, the valley. Yep. Uh, this is when you, it was sort of a goal to start a, a bit of a simple eat, eat, a simple sort of outreach service in the city and the valley, Friday, Saturday nights. <laughs> Tell us a bit about how that all started out and getting back to Brisbane and, and uh, what sort of... Was anything that sort of drove you or did you just like Brisbane? What sort of attracts you to Brisbane?
1: I came back to Brisbane because this is my hometown. My uh, relatives were here um, and I was uh, um, um, recovering from burnout.
0: Yeah,
1: um, needed a change. Uh, no, I had a severe burnout. and oh, really? uh, okay. And that severe burnout, although it didn't debilitate me from working, uh, affected my whole perspective of life. And um, I was really uh, lost in myself. I did not take the advice I've been just talking about on board. Um, I saw my failures, and I majored on those failures, and that brought me down into a very dark hole. Um, and uh, so we. Uh, there were several events that brought us back to uh, to Queensland, um, but. Um, I then just decided, look, I've got to go back to basics. I've got to go back to what I know best. So I used to just um, work with a, uh, a charity as a volunteer, and I would just walk the streets engaging with the street people uh, because I could talk their lingo. I understood them, I understood where they're at. And uh, and uh, then an event took place that, um, that. uh turned my whole life around and it was a nanosecond of change that turned everything
0: so this was after being here back here a couple of years or?
1: yeah i'd been back in about 98 i came back to queensland yep. and then in about uh, um, this major event is indelibly written on me because i know that it happened five hours before the twin towers went down okay Yeah. You know, so so when you've got that type of um, uh, mark, create, uh, mark yeah. on your calendar. It's easy to to remember. Uh,
0: so, so uh, what actually happened? What 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 actually <laughs> was there a fight that broke out, or what? Yes, actually?
1: yes. Um, and I, even even my time in Kings Cross, I had never seen a fight like this.
0: Okay? Really. Okay. So, um, uh,
1: because you never saw fights in Kings Cross um, openly. Uh, Kings Cross was very well controlled by. Um, the underworld, yeah, and things were always kept subdued, so it was strong uh, oversight, so the security wouldn't allow stuff to go on, yep. um, etc. So it was not open. Uh, so when I saw this fight taking place, um, uh, and uniquely, it was over a prostitute. Um, that um, there were three guys that got engaged in a fisticuff, yep, and it was just a push and shoves, a few swings. No blows being landed heavily, but one guy lost his balance and fell through a plate glass window of the uh, shop, uh, severing the uh, uh, the flesh from his bones from his wrist right up to his uh, under his arm, and um, he had obviously cut his arteries, uh, etc. And uh, that uh, I was across the road and i took a major decision at that time would i help or would i not because i am very well skilled and understand um, the contamination one can get from blood and blood-borne diseases um, hepatitis HIV, etc etc and i chose and that ethos kicked back in of people matter yep. um, and i made a calculated decision within a nanosecond and went across and grabbed him. And at the first grab by my hands under his armpit um, with my bare hands was the fact that I apparently, surprise, surprise, got the artery and I blocked it. So he lost about a litre, litre and a half, maybe a little bit more. um, And I was able to stop the flow until the paramedics turned up which was within five minutes. There was massive response, very quick, yeah. very, quick very excellent. I was relieved, um, but I held him there while other people ran around in circles trying to work out what to do. But I was able to control all of that. Um, and uh, when they came, um, the detectives that were on site there just shook their head and said, no, no, he's not gonna make it, but he did. Wow. Uh, and that's the only piece of information I have about the individual. Um, I don't understand what's going on.
0: So he never uh, sort of came and thanked you. To
1: and I don't look life. for thanks. I, no, you, know, no. you know, you know, you know. If, if a life, life survived, is that's, is a, yep. is enough. Uh, you don't yep. go looking for thanks. You don't go. No, no. Uh, you know, it's always no. nice if it comes, but yep. that's that's a reward in and of itself. Yep. So uh, so that uh, turned my life around. I actually got the commissioner's commendation for bravery yes. uh, for doing that, which was an absolute surprise. Um, uh, but it was, you know, I was grateful for that because that turned my focus back to people matter, and that's how my life has uh, gone for the last couple of
0: decades. Mm. So, where this, where's the sort of chaplain? Watch, tell us, tell the listeners a bit about. Um, Exactly what that is, I guess, so they can understand it in, in your sort of uh, voice.
1: I used to think everybody went to bed at ten o'clock. Um, <laughs> um, after this fight, I realised that there was a nighttime economy going on in the valley. Totally unaware of it all, I, you know. I just I thought everybody turned the lights off, just went home. Uh, that's no what sure. I would do, um, and a lot of people in Brisbane do that as well. But uh, even now, but uh, I then started to realise that there's a nighttime economy. And I just started to th- think well who's out there caring for them so I started to just work do drive around looking at what's happening trying to get a lay of the land trying to understand you know how can I respond to these people and do they need response um, I then started to see some pretty bad things happening from people who were um, unconscious because of alcohol poisoning intoxication uh, through to drug misuse uh, which I was very much aware of through to violence that would take place in the valley at those days There was a tough it was okay corral shootout stuff that used to go on in the valleys a long long time ago not like it is now but uh, uh, it's much 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 better now but um, then I started to think well what can I do uh, now the internet was not as uh, simplistic as what it is today but all my research i couldn't find anybody that was responding to nighttime economy and all the times that i would drive around uh from nine o'clock at night to three o'clock in the morning was uh, on a friday and a saturday night is that there were no other services responding to people other than the police police uh, yeah. and the ambulance who had to be called into situations yeah, so so just so, it, yeah. so um that became the platform for Chaplin Watch. So we developed uh, this charity called Chaplin Watch. Um, we uh, created a uh, uh, our motto, which is uh, "watching out for you when good times go bad," and we became a very unique um, uh, organisation working alongside police, ambulance the venues, management, stakeholders uh, to be able to try and um, help people in the, uh, the night time economy, uh, young people that would come out and get themselves heavily intoxicated um, and be able to help them so that their futures would not be destroyed. Because uh, one of the things I started to—I'm talking a lot. Of, I'm sorry. Do you want to no, jump no, that's
0: in? it's okay. I like <laughs> listening to what you do. You know.
1: So um, one of the things that uh, personally dro- drove me was that I saw young men who would have a punch up.
0: Yeah. Uh, typical, uh, they, they were typical drunk punch dr-
1: yeah. drunken punch up. Whether it was drugs, alcohol, or ego, mm. it really doesn't matter. But they were doing it. Now they would land two or three very good uh, blows. The police would come in, they would be arrested, they would be charged, they would go to court, they would get convicted and then I realised that that conviction would sit on their record for life so that they would not be able to get employment in the military. Uh, in many uh, uh, public service industry uh, and industries they wouldn't be able to get uh, a passport into the US for instance to do Big their gap marks, year. Yeah. Uh, and it. For a moment of... Craziness. Dump, drunken stupidity, craziness, ego-driven, testosterone, you know, macho stuff that goes on. Um, and, uh, you know, in about 2009 or 10, the Curia Mail wrote about the, uh, the valley as being the valley of
0: violence. Saying would you, 2010. Did you say? I think
1: about 2009 or 2010.
0: Yeah, it's about eight years ago. Yep.
1: And uh, it was, uh, it was a black mark against the valley. But they were only saying what was obvious. Yeah. It, it was obvious. Yeah. And uh, but since then, uh, there's been an enormous amount of stuff that has gone on in the valley to turn that around today yep. to to being today where that I hear people say they feel that it is safer, even though they're in a massive crowd and many people are drunk, they can feel safer in the valley than they can being out in the burbs. Um, because of, of the work that Chapel Watch does, the police do, the venues do, um, that we don't see that those mass brawls, we don't see those, um, you know. We've had two one-punch kills in the valley over the last, oh, what? Say eight years. Eight or eight? No, even longer than that. More than a decade, almost fifteen years. Because, That's and I was two involved in as well. so two occasions, and I was uh, uh, I was involved in the first one. I was the first responder on that, and my team was the second on the last one, with which was Cole Miller, uh, a few uh, a couple of years ago. So we're just seeing. Um, being there and just doing something Mm. um, and doing something that is smart, um, effective, capable uh, is able to really just um, make a difference. Mm.
0: So it's certainly grown then obviously from year 2000 to what it is as we speak now. How many different volunteers would be in, currently involved in Chaplain Watch and, and associated programs that you... Well, it was
1: interesting. Yeah, it was interesting. In about 2010, um, the state government thought they would... Uh, or chose to uh, fund uh, a uh, an organisation to be able to offer some sort of street support. Um, we put our hand up for it, but we were really not prepared for it. Um, but there was such a hue and cry from... The um, the venue owners and um, the population of uh, uh, of the valley that we didn't get tended um, that the government actually found some tender money to be able to offer to us to work alongside the other organisation simply because they had already seen since about 2004 that we had been doing such an, uh, a worthwhile job yep. uh, on the on the streets it was unique you we couldn't find anything else in the world that was similar today there's a lot of others that are doing it can't say that they modeled it off us um, around the state, there's been a lot that have modelled off us, and across Australia, uh, but across the world, because I think uh, people start to wake up to the need that I saw. And there was a collective response worldwide. But uh, we uh, <coughs> developed uh, an outreach program which was run uh, out of uh, a vehicle and then out of foot patrols uh, where that we would uh, respond to uh, uh, people uh, who were in crisis, in need or at risk. Um, and we would uh, uh, be there. And then we took on the concept of being intentionally interventionist. So we didn't wait for people to come to us, we went to them. And that is the same thing that happens today. Um, That being that proactive response, being there, because you can't expect people uh, of the type that we help uh, to come looking for help necessarily. Uh, Their mates who are more sober might be able to drag somebody along, but we've developed uh, a very effective, very um, capable, very responsive service on the streets. Um,
0: and sort of, and sort of, how many volunteers do you have in? Oh
1: yes, yes. So any, I'm sort of getting there. Um, so yeah. uh, <clears throat> out of that, uh, sort of, need to sort of just precursor that by yeah. saying that the government um, has seen what we've done to the point where that, uh, in legislation they, uh, the government actually took our program and made it the foundation for, legis- uh, for part of the legislation uh, that relates to uh, the Safe Night Out uh, precincts. Yeah. And, uh, and out of that, um, we have been funded by the state government for this service. Mm-hmm. So that allows me then to have permanent part-time staff. So I've got about half a dozen permanent part-time staff and uh, uh, about three uh, full-time staff. Uh, And then along with those, we have about 30 to 35 volunteers depending on the season. Um, I would love to have more people as volunteers, but you need a certain DNA to do this job. You've got to enjoy, or you you can't have a a weak tummy for Mm. blood and vomit.
0: So I guess um, as far as volunteers, you wouldn't say no to more volunteers or obviously people um, knocking on the door down well, to help?
1: with this caveat, um, I'd, I'd be happy for anybody to volunteer, but with the caveat that one, they could fit into our ethos the way that we yep. do yeah, uh, work and that they could handle so they don't bring any hidden baggage themselves, yeah. PTSD issues in mm. past life, and they're not do-gooders. Mm. They want to come and rescue people. Mm. Um, that is not that that is uh, detrimental to the service that we bring. Okay. But if they can be devoid of that uh, and they have a genuine heart for people, yep. then I'm up for it. Yes. And we're up for it.
0: Definitely. Uh, but you certainly... Uh, I read that there's also... Uh, Quite a few businesses within the valley actually sponsor uh, the Chaplain Watch as well, is it?
1: Yeah, no, we're, we're very grateful. Oh, Always looking for more, of course. Yeah. Um, love to be able to have uh, uh, as many because I think that this is a uh, profoundly worthwhile um, uh, venture that is being uh, uh, offered uh, by us. But uh, if we could have uh, uh, other. Uh, to, to have partnerships and once again it's not the financial support necessarily it's just being able to have people stand on the sideline and cheer you on yeah. man well, that, that right. is yeah. so important yeah. so important just to know you know people like you Tim that are just you know you're, you're willing to want to sit down and have a chat with me you want to um, you know to sort of just uh, put our name out there a little bit more but it, that is just so gratifying mm. and emboldening and, and, and uh, fortifying and Um, You know, I I don't mind dealing with vomit and blood. I don't know whether that's your forte, uh, but I'm happy to do it on your behalf. Mm. Someone's got to do it. Exactly. Um, But then I've got to say, there is no way that I could do your job. (laughs) And I'm very grateful that you're able to do what you do. Mm. I'll do what I do. And uh, if we can go hand in hand together, then I think that we're doing something of great effect within our community.
0: Yeah, definitely. so your your sort of the area that you look after is it sort of defined at all? I mean, it obviously encompasses the valley, encompasses the city as well. Or?
1: Yes. Yeah. We actually uh, have uh, three Caxton Street. I think. Yeah, we have three uh, Safe Night precincts to uh, to look after uh, the Fortitude Valley area, uh, which is just uh, from about James Street up to Gipps Street, out to St Paul's and yep. and. Uh, um, uh, so in that area generally, um, then also we've got uh, our uh, responsibility goes to the Brisbane CBD, and uh, in doing that, it is uh, it is a really good opportunity uh, to uh, to be in those areas, Queen Street Mall, uh, Adelaide uh, Street, and. Uh, The Brisbane CBD is very different to the Valley, whereas everything is um, almost uh, next-door to next-door to next-door venues, very close to each other. The Valley. Uh, Whereas you come into the city and you have pockets. And you have one so pocket have in one Street area, pocket. so so you've got the Eagle Street and the uh, uh, around uh, Edward Street, then up in towards the Treasury, and then down into, um, you know. So there's those the areas. West, yeah. So that you move from there to there, and then on the third uh, precinct is the what that's called the Inner West, which covers Caxton Street, um, right up to the Paddo and uh, yep. the uh, uh, Lang Park, yep. up to Normanby. Uh, and uh, there is a lot of backpackers in those areas as well, so we have responsibility to oversee them at night, uh, on the weekends, uh, for uh, uh, and uh, yeah, and we're we're consistently there, highly visible, and uh, doing what we do best.
0: No, that's that's excellent. Um, so that's some of the areas. Uh, the, you've got an event coming up next month. It's it's in the it's booked in most some of these calendars. Uh, is it the seventeenth of October? What's the? Um,
1: I believe that. Uh, that's the case um, it'll Lane. be the it's the uh, um, yes the 17th of October and uh, it's in Isles Lane which is opposite the uh, GPO in the city yep. which is a brand new venue just uh, been opened up and it hasn't uh, been open we, for very long we, it hasn't it was, we went uh,
0: there I think it was May or June yeah so it's, it's, it's only
1: it's, it's less than six months old it is doing exceptionally well it's very well Um, uh, run so we've uh, they've uh, uh, offered that to us and we're very grateful to have that. It is a fabulous area and I have understood that they're going to go overboard with the canapes Um, (laughs) so that that entices me so uh, it's going to be uh, on the 17th of October, Wednesday the 17th of October from about half past five to about eight Um, So it's
0: definitely um, supporting a great cause everybody and um about forty-five, fifty dollars a head. What is it? Uh, like Fifty-five a head. Fifty-five a yeah. head. Um, so, so, look at that, up on the Chaplin, that, that'll be uh, on the Valley Chamber uh, website on, in the events as well as some, some of the other. Um,
1: and you'd also, also be able to go to uh, our website, which is uh, Chaplin Watch, and Chaplin is not Charlie Chaplin; it's Chaplin, C H A P L A I N. Watch, w a t c h. dot org a u and then go to events, and uh, that will uh, take you through to uh, where to buy or you know, purchase your tickets, um, and uh, uh, $55 a head. It is a definite fundraiser. Uh, I gotta tell you, we've been really pulling in, just recently, some amazing prizes. So it is going to, I think everybody's gonna be a winner on the night. Um, Sounds there, like there a risk.
0: must, must uh, I think it's a Wednesday night, you yeah, must, um, must go to that one to support it. Uh, I would appreciate
1: that so much. Uh,
0: so I guess what what I'm I guess really happy when I sort of look at the valley these days uh, um, you are right it's it's certainly not as scary as what it used to be back in some of the older days and and part of that reasoning you know just the part that you play in that uh, certainly has has had a bit of a butterfly effect in in making it uh, you know sort of still be more of a destination where people do want to go out, mm. do want to enjoy, have a good night, know that they feel safe. Um, there's lots of great ve- uh, of uh, entertainment venues in the valley that, uh, that are basically all very much in unison. I mean I went to I spent um, three nights out uh, at Big Sound a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. on, I know that uh, there was a, sort of a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and a Friday. Night um, and everything was there, a lot of people out there, uh, but everyone felt really safe, and uh, the venues certainly know how to look after their patrons generally.
1: Yes. Um, yeah, and I, I think this is something that people have got to understand is that the venues do not want violence. No, that either, that, no. That, that destroys their business. Uh, so that they do everything to, to stop that type of thing. So it, you know, um, so we've got to understand that everybody has started to realise that your business plan can and your business model can be destroyed mm-hmm. by some bad publicity. So they're so careful in all of that. But just picking up on the valley, you know, there's not only some of the major. The, the, the construction work that's going on with the increase in um, residential units. Uh, units that are going up around the area but um, you know you've got the uh, Valley High going in soon um, you know up on the uh, next to the police station in Brook Street which is going to be a massive um, uh, high school state high school that's going to go in there you've got businesses that are growing all around the place and now, um, which will be open somewhere in the next, within the six months, I believe, uh, will be the new replacement for the old Festival Hall in Brunswick wow. Street Mall, with an over 2,000 seating auditorium. Um, you've got a brand new restaurant and, uh, and uh, cocktail bar going in opposite it in Brunswick Street Mall. And just up the aisle, um, which used to be called Licorice Lane. It's now called Bernie Lane. Um, they're putting in um, uh, a new games centre where the, there is all those uh, um, uh, money-in-the-slot games, you know, you, um, the, the, nin, nin, the modern Nintendos, <laughs> uh, et cetera. And I, saw, I peeked at it the other day. It is looking outstanding as well as some of the classy restaurants in the area. Man, you know, the valley is not what it used to be eight years ago. Um, It has changed, it is changing, and it is going to be the destination point, I believe, Um, if uh, everybody could get their act together and promote the pants off it.
0: Yeah, definitely it needs to be promoted, and and we're doing our best to obviously do that uh, by uh, putting it out there and letting everybody around the place know about uh, the valley and uh, yeah, the valley chamber of commerce is is you know the most vibrant uh, chamber of commerce in australia certainly um, is it's uh, it's the great events i mean i went to the business festival last week yes uh, it was uh, very good up there on king street i love that new king street area yes uh, that uh, saw that building that's just completely made out of wood i'm not sure if you've seen that one but no i haven't Um, right on King Street there I can't remember the name off the top of my head but um, it's it's there it's fairly new Um, yeah no it's it's, it's, uh, we look forward to what's sort of going to happen over the coming years with the valley and I think uh, it can only be positive and it can only sort of grow and uh, and continue to thrive and you know there will be there will be challenges along the way there's going to be uh, challenges to make things cohesive to get everyone to talk together. There's, there's always going to be those challenges, but I think uh, you know it's you've got to make the most of the opportunities that are right there in the valley. So, um, but I think I'm going to wrap this up, uh, Lance, fairly shortly. But uh, yeah, sure, I'd team. like to uh, thank you very much for coming out here today. And obviously, if there's anything else you wanted to add and talk to our list, uh, let our listeners know about anything else that you wanted to uh, discuss. Now's probably a good time. <laughs>
1: I'm an enigma. Um, um, I told you earlier that I was a teetotaler. Um, I would love to see a total absence of alcohol because I've seen the devastation it produces, but I'm a realist, so that's not going to happen. Um, <clears throat> so um, I think that what I'm saying, and I've said all the way along, is that um, the, what I think is most important in all of this is for everybody to build relationships eyeball to eyeball, spirit to spirit, soul to soul, human to human. Um, That is how things have changed, I believe, in the Valley. We have had individuals affect individuals who have affected individuals, and it has grown. The same is the ethos, I believe, within a company. If you're there for the bottom dollar line uh, and if you want to do those type of things or you've got your uh, your goals. Um, if you're not developing relationship, you're not developing anything. And relationship is so important. So, um, you know, I have my, my faith where I have a relationship with, with my God, but, uh, you know, I believe everybody else. You know, we all have to have relationships. And I suppose that's the the, the bottom line out of all of this I just would like to leave in your podcast and I thank you Tim for this opportunity and I wish you all the best for your podcast but uh, if we can uh, see that happen uh, I believe that people will be all the more better in this life
0: yeah definitely um, that's, that's very well said very well said and there's nothing you say today that I, you know, I can't sort of marvel at and, and agree to so um, thank you very much Lance that's been uh, From the Valley Podcast uh, I've been your host, Tim Wilshere, here with Lance Murgaard from Chaplin Watch. Uh, thank you very much and we we'll look forward to talking to you again soon, everybody. Thank you.